You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend as we continue with our hot stove editions of Tribe Talk. And if you were with us last week, you know that these past two weeks we have been reliving one of the greatest moments in franchise history, the 1948 World Series, a win for the Tribe over the Boston Braves, who were then in the National League before two more moves got them to Atlanta. But uh, it was the last World Series title for the Indians, the 1948 title. Last week, we took a look back and had the audio from Game 3 of that World Series, which was the first home game for the Indians. Huge crowds at Old Municipal Stadium. This week, we take you back to the clinching Game 6 of that series, which was held in Boston, not at Fenway Park, but at Braves Field. And joining us throughout our shows the last two weeks, Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio. Indians Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio. And Bobby D explains that the path to the title back in 1948 was a little bit different than it is now. An eight-team league, 154 games. And believe it, this was the first time in American League history that it went down to a tie-breaking historic playoff game uh, between the Cleveland Indians and the Boston Red Sox. The Tribe and Boston tie with identical records of 96 and, and uh, 58. And uh, just, uh, again, how remarkable it was uh, uh the way they got there, uh, Boston ends up winning the last four games of the 1948 uh, season, and the Indians go two and two to tie at 96 and 58, and uh, again uh, necessitating the first ever playoff game in uh, American League history. And that's when um, Lou Boudreau, the player manager, in his seventh season as player manager of the Tribe at the age of 30. Um, Picks shocks everyone and chooses 20-game winner Gene Bearden, a rookie southpaw, to uh, start that playoff game on one day's rest. And Bearden obviously goes on and wins that game. And we're off to the uh, World Series for the second time uh, uh, and first time since 1920. And we heard again from Gene Bearden on last week's show. He was the game winner in Game 3 
We will hear his name pop up again later in this show. He was a key figure in Game 6, but let's get going with some of the play-by-play action from Game 6. It was a scoreless game in Boston, heading to the top half of the third inning. That's when the Indians would get on the scoreboard. Going into the top half of the third inning, it'll be Dale Mitchell leading off of the Cleveland Indians as we go to the top of the order. Dale Mitchell, Larry Doby, and Lou Boudreaux. Mitchell fly to center field in the first inning. Bill Boisell, the right-hander, throws. Mitchell swings and lines one down the left field line for a base hit. Maybe for extra bases. Rickard chasing the ball. Mitchell rounds first, digs for second. Here's the throw. It's in toward third. And Mitchell goes into second, standing up for the double. Dale Mitchell lines a double into the left field corner. For the third base hit for the Cleveland Indians off Bill Boisell. And for Dale Mitchell, that's his fourth World Series hit. And his second extra base hit. He had a home run, and now he's got a double. That brings to the plate Larry Doby, who singled the left in the first inning. Left-hand batter, the pitch to him is swung on. There's a long fly ball to deep left field. Rickard goes back toward the fence and makes the catch for the out. And there is Mitchell tagging up, bluffing a dash to third, and Ferguson went all the way down from first base to back up second in the event there was a throw in that direction. In other words, he was sneaking in behind Mitchell, but Dale... Dale Deere caught the voice of Bill McKechnie coaching at third base, yelling to him to get back, and he did. So Larry Doby's long drive deep into left field is caught by Rickard, just about five feet away from the left field fence for the first out in the top of the third. Manager Lou Boudreaux is up, hit by pitched ball in the first inning. Bill Boisel throws, the pitch is swung on, hit out in the right field, racing over his Tommy Holmes, and he, he dumps the ball. Now Mitchell takes for third, he rounds it on his way to the plate goes in the score, and on at second base is Lou Boudreaux, as Lou sliced one into right field, and Tommy Holmes raced over, got his glove on the ball, and then dropped it. Mitchell was racing toward third, had to hold up, thinking that Holmes would get the ball, and then when he dropped it, Bill McKechnie waved him on. It scored as a double for Lou Boudreaux. Into the right field uh, sector, a run batted in for Lou. Mitchell scores. And for Boudreaux, that is his fourth double of the series. And his third run batted in. Indians now lead one to nothing. Joe Gordon up. Gordon takes a high fastball. Ball one. One to nothing. Favorite Cleveland. Top half the third inning. One down. Lou Boudreaux leading off second. Bill Boisel throws. Joe Gordon looks at a fastball that's inside. Ball two. What a great player that Lou Boudreaux is. He is really tremendous. Activity in the Braves' bullpen. You've got Red Barrett and Vern Bickford, two right-handers throwing. Bill Boisel delivers to Joe Gordon. Curveball stays high. Ball three. Three balls, no strikes. Bill Salkel fires the ball back out to Boisel. Outfield pull, way around toward left. Boudreaux leads off second. Here's your pitch. Gordon takes a strike call. And three-nothing pitch is right in there. Gordon taken all the way. So it's a 3-1 count on the flash. Gordon fly to left field in the first inning. Lou Boudreaux takes his lead off second. Stanky tries to dance in behind him, pull him back to the bag. Here's the pitch. Swung on by Gordon. Popped high into the air toward third. Bob Elliott under it right at the bag. He moves over into foul territory. Makes the catch in foul territory. And they're two away. 
Gordon fouls out to Elliott. It's nothing. So the Indians had the early lead on the Braves on that Monday afternoon in Boston, trying to close out the series with that three games to two lead. But as we will find out as our show continues after this timeout, it was anything but easy on that Monday afternoon in Boston. So stay with us. We'll have more to come as Tribe Talk continues on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Bob DiBiasio, Indians Vice President. We are looking back at the 1948 World Series, the last time the Indians won the World Series championship. They defeated the Boston Braves four games to two, and we are covering game six for you. Last segment, we heard the Indians grab a lead in the top half of the third inning, one nothing. The Red Sox would tie it up in the bottom of the fourth, and as we headed to the sixth, the game was still tied at one. We're headed to the top half of the sixth inning. The Indians at bat trying to take a lead once again at Braves Field. In the first half of the sixth inning, Joe Gordon, the great Cleveland second baseman, will be the batter. He's a right-hander. Boys, they'll pitches. High and wide. Ball one. Bill McKechnie is doing the coaching at third base for the Indians, and Mel Harder, as usual, is doing the coaching at first. Their combination is constant. The wind-up, the pitch, too close, a fastball, and the count is two and nothing. Center fielder Mike McCormick is positioned over in left center field. Tommy Holmes is about 100 feet inside the right field foul line in the direction of right center field. Right field is wide open. Here it comes. Strike call, fastball. The count, two balls, one strike. The weatherman has been good to us all through the series. It has, it has never been particularly sunny, but the weather has always been adequate. The pitch. There goes a long fly ball to left field, and that may be troublesome. Rickard is going back near the fence, and the ball is out of the lock for a home run, putting Cleveland in front, 2-1. to one. Joe Gordon hit a long, high fly ball that just cleared the fence to the left of the huge scoreboard. His first home run of the series... His fourth hit of the series, and it is now 2-1 to one as Philly Southworth rushes some relievers into action in the bullpen. Ken Keltner is the batter. He's a right-hander, and he lets the ball go by on the outside. Keltner got a hit his first time up in the series, and he has nothing in his last 18 trips. The outfield deep to the left. There goes a high pop fly back of third base. Bob Elliott is going back, calling for it in foul territory. And he takes it for the first out. So that's none and three for Keltner in this game. Once more, Bob Lemon and the Cleveland Indians are on top by a score of two to one. The first run of the game was scored by Cleveland in the third when Mitchell singled to left just inside the line. And then after Dolby had slid out, Boudreau bounced a double off Tommy Holmes' glove near the line in right field. But the Braves tied it up on Elliott's infield hit, a base on ball, and a single. Tucker is the batter. The first pitch is low outside, ball one. He bears a startling resemblance, facially, to Joey Brown, the motion picture comedian. He's playing center field today and has no hits in two trips in the series. The pitch, Tucker goes to first base. And that will bring up tall, left-handed Eddie Robinson of Paris, Texas. The pitch, inside, ball two, two or nothing. Eddie Stanky charges in from his second base position. 
in an effort to settle down. The big South Carolinian. Boisell turned his back on him for an instant, not knowing that Eddie was there. They make quite a picture, by the way. Sankey is very much shorter than Bill. He pats him affectionately on the back with his glove and then goes back to his position. Sankey occasionally, with a right-hander up, will play out on the grass about five or six feet to the right of second base. With a left-hander like Eddie Robinson, he's about 35 feet to the right of second. Tucker leads off. Here's the pitch. Ball three. That was a high, fast one to the inside. And the count is 3-0. and Through the first five innings, Boisell scattered four hits. And his most effective stretch was when he retired seven men in a row in the third, fourth, and fifth before walking Doby. Then Gordon broke it up, sent Cleveland ahead 2-1 to one with his home run. Here's the big one. Strike call. 3-1. The big one as far as Boisell was concerned. Not as far as Eddie Robinson was concerned because... He got a free look at that one under instructions from Bill McKechnie with a 3 nothing count. One man out in the sixth inning. Boisell working from a stretch. There goes the runner, and there's the drive to right field for a solid base hit. Tucker is all the way to third base as Holmes throws into Sankey. Runners on first and third, and Boisell is on the rope. Jim Hegan will be the next batter. Robinson lined a solid single into right field. One of the most solid hits of the ball game and his fifth of the series in 19 trips. He got a free look at that one under instructions from Bill McKechnie with a 3 and nothing count. One man out in the sixth inning. Boisell working from a stretch. There goes the runner. And there's a drive to right field for a solid base hit. Tucker is all the way to third base as Holmes throws into Sankey. Runners on first and third, and Boisell is on the rope. Jim Hegan will be the next batter. Robinson lined a solid single into right field. One of the most solid hits of the ball game, and his fifth of the series in 19 trips. Jim Hegan has one hit. He singled the left in the second inning, then he went down swinging in the fourth inning. And incidentally, with Mr. Lemon batting back to Mr. Hegan, the Clevelanders have a nine-man baseball team in the field today because Lemon is a good hitter. He hit five home runs through the regular season's play. Egan has four hits and 17 strips. Time called. Bill Summers stepped into the breach. He looked over in the direction of the Cleveland dugout, pointed to the pitcher. It was difficult to understand just what was intended. The outfield is set to the left. Tucker on third, Robinson on first. One man out. Boisell in trouble. He takes a stretch. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. He poured a fastball overhand. One strike to count. Cleveland has two runs, six hits. The Boston Braves have one run, five hits. Boisell has that one strike count. He takes a stretch. He delivers. Foul tip. That one went right back against Bill Salkel's shin. Bill has been a target frequently in this series. He injured a groin muscle when running during one of the games at Braves Field, but very gamely played yesterday and hit a home run. And then a little earlier in this ball game, when Boudreaux tried the pickoff play, Mr. Lemon hit him right in the seat of the baseball pants with a throw to second base. And that time, a fast foul tip struck his shin guard. 
but he shook it off. He crouched low with a count of two strikes on Jim Hegan, waiting for the next one. Boisel gets set. He pitches inside, just barely inside. Hegan was about to swing and then finally decided against it and backed away. So the count is one ball, two strikes. Cleveland leads two to one in the sixth game of the series and three games to two in the five games played thus far. Boisel takes his stretch. He throws it. There's a ground ball, and that one goes to Elliott. Elliott throws to second. Second to first. And it is dropped, and it is 3-1. Sankey throw to first base was poor. It was high. It struck the heel of Earl Torgerson's glove, and he knocked it down as the Braves blew a perfect opportunity to retire the side with a double play. Tucker scores on Hegan's fielder's choice. No error is charged. Hegan. Hegan is given credit for driving in a run. He's on first base with two men out. The play was five to four. Elliott to Stanky, and Bob Lemon comes up. Boisel, with luck, could have been out of the inning. But the Braves have consistently been unable to match Cleveland's double play. Here's the pitch. There goes a ground ball right to Torgerson. He steps on first to retire the side as Bob Lemon goes right after that first pitch. One, two runs for Cleveland in the inning. Two hits, no errors, a base on ball, and a runner left. And at the end of five and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland three, Boston one. So the Tribe was still in front as the game headed to the eighth inning. But again, it would not be easy to try and close this one out and wrap up a World Series championship. So don't go away. We'll have more after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you as we join you with the second of our shows looking back at a great moment in Cleveland Indians history, their last World Series title, 1948. And this week's show focusing on Game 6 of that World Series. It was in Boston on a Monday afternoon where the Indians would wrap things up. We've been joined by Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio talking about all the intricacies and differences of the game back then as opposed to the game today. And believe it or not, television was very much in its infancy, so it wasn't the driving factor in game times and anything else that goes along with the postseason nowadays. And uh, Bobby Day explains just how different things were television-wise heading into that 1948 World Series. Well, it was, and obviously some of the great names in baseball, you know, you have Bob Feller and, and the emergence of Larry Doby and the social significance of, of that. He's now on television playing in the World Series. Um, just how exciting that had to be for the uh, uh, the game of baseball, the industry at that time that we're now beamed on television and uh, over the airwaves. Um, but I just get back to the crowds of 80,000 plus <laughs> and how, how awesome it would be um, to have been a part of that. 
you know, something else in, in that fall classic of 1948. And uh, we'll pick up again Mel Allen and Jim Britt on the radio side as we head to the eighth inning. Indians looking to add a little insurance as they lead it by a score of 3-1 to one in what turned out to be the decisive game six for the Tribe. Here it comes. There's a drive that goes into right field for a base hit. And here comes Kelton sprinting for the plate with a fourth Indian run. Runners are on first and third as three consecutive hits rattle off Warren's Barnes delivery and Cleveland takes a lead of four to one. That was Robinson's sixth hit of the series. Kelton scored. Tucker went all the way to third base. And we're looking down below to see whether or not Billy Southworth intends to make an appearance. Jim Hegan is getting ready to bat. And Spawn apparently is going to stay in. Cleveland leads 4-1. to one. That was the score by which Lemon won the second game. Spawn takes a stretch. Here it comes. Outside, fastball. Tucker on third base. Robinson on first base. And Robinson's line drive was well over Torgerson's head down the right field line with Holmes running fast to cover. One ball, no strike. There's a throw to first base. Robinson is back in time under Mel Harder's shout of look out. This is the gloomiest day we've had. It has turned into it weather-wise. Another throw to first base, but Robinson is back easily. Cleveland now has four runs, ten hits. And the Indians are still in a rallying position. The outfield is deep to the left. The pitch, swing and a miss. That was a fastball, and the count is one and one. The Indians broke a one-run tie, which lasted through the first five innings of play. Time called for an instant. Lou Boudreau hollered from the dugout as Egan got ready to step out. And then Bill Summers insisted that the pitcher wait. The infield is in. The stretch, the pitch, bring it a miss. That was a fastball, let it high to the outside, and the count is one ball, two strikes. The situation in the sixth game of the World Series is inning number eight. Thanks to that fine catch by Rickard, who held the ball off Gordon's bat after somersaulting, Spawn has been touched up so far for only one run. This could have been a very sizable inning, and still may be. Spawn is ready. Swing and a miss for strike three. A fastball. That's the third Cleveland strikeout of the game. is coming out of the dugout to bat. He has been a great competitor in this series. In 16 innings, the Braves have reached him for only two runs, one of them unearned. And in 16 innings, if you're further interested, he has scattered 14 hits. And that is mightily effective pitching on any occasion. Robinson on first, Tucker on third base, two men out for Cleveland. Spawn getting ready to pitch. Here it comes. Foul ball back over the top for strike one. That was a fastball. Baseball is a strange game. And I presume that right now the Braves partisans and Billy Southworth 
are wondering how it is possible for a team to score 11 runs one day and only one the next. Here it comes. Curveball high on the count is one and one. One scoreboard has a count of one ball and one strike. The other scoreboard has a count of two balls and one strike. The official scoreboard says one and one. Lawrence Barnes takes a stretch. Robinson has a long lead, and he dares her to pick him off. The throw is to the plate, and they have cut it off. Here's the throw, and he's out. He tried to knock the ball out of Dawkell's hand with a rush, and I'm afraid that Tucker's glasses were broken. He smashed into Dawkell's. The play, incidentally, went from Spawn to Torgerson to Dawkell to Elliott to Dawkell, who tagged Tucker, and I fear Tucker's glasses were broken on the play. So at the end of seven and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland 4, Boston Braves 1. Well, it wasn't 4-1 to one for long as Boston would score a pair of runs, sending the game to the ninth inning with just a one-run Indians lead. And that's where we'll leave it now, take a break, and come back with the finale of our show today and our final look at that 1948 World Series Game 6. The Indians on the cusp of wrapping things up, so don't go away. There's more to come as Tribe Talk continues on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, Jim Rosenhouse, along with Bob DiBiasio, our final segment as we take a look back at the 1948 World Series. Indians three outs away from clinching the series, leading three games to two. It is game six at Braves Field in Boston. The Tribe up four to three, heading to the bottom half of the ninth inning. Let's listen in. Cleveland leads by a 4-3 score, and Eddie Stanky will be the Braves' leadoff batter. In the last of the ninth, he's a right-hander. He's walked twice. Bearden's first pitch is low inside, ball one. The record, incidentally, for the most home runs in a single game in the World Series is Babe Ruth. That's an answer to a query. Three. Bob Elliott tied the all-time National League mark with two yesterday. Bearden delivers. Ball two. That was letter high outside, and it's two and nothing. three batters, and two of them have hit the ball extremely well. Sinatra's fly and Macy's double. Here it comes. Strike call. There was to be no denying young Mr. Bearden that time. He fired one right down the middle. And it's two and one. Bob Feller and Steve Dromack are winding up for Cleveland. The Indians are trying to nurse a one-run lead in the ninth inning. There goes a high ball, fly ball, down the left field line. Kennedy running hard, but he can't get it. It fell out of his reach by about 20 feet, out in what normally would be the Boston Braves bullpen. Two balls, two strikes. Both Keltner and Boudreau tried, but Kennedy was the only one who had any chance, whatever. The outfield with Sankey up is playing well to the left. 
And his immediate problem, of course, is to get on base. He wasn't up there to wait Mr. Bearden out. As soon as that first good pitch came over with a count two and one, he went after it. And now Bearden has him in a two and two hole. Bearden winds up. Three and two. That was a curveball that hung high to the outside. Incidentally, it is very dark here at Fenway Park. Very cloudy and ominous overhead. But it has been a very happy circumstance that this game went at all. Here it comes. There's a drive foul to left. A wicked line drive that bounces off the facade of the left field boxes. And it's recovered out there by the foul line umpire. Mr. Bearden has at least this edge against the batters in this inning. The darkness, I mean. Because visibility handicaps the batter somewhat on such a day as this when the afternoon wears on. Here's the big one. Ball four. his third walk of the game and his seventh base on balls of the series. There may be a pinch runner. Tony Ryan is going to run for Stanky. And Sibby Sifty will bat for Spawn. of Buffalo, New York. The fellow townsman of Warren Spawn will bat for him. This is Sissy's first appearance at the plate in the series. But he filled in handsomely for Stanky during the period of Eddie's injury. No one out. Ryan on first base. Bearden takes his stretch. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. He tried to punt it. Cleveland naturally expects the sacrifice, and both Robinson and third baseman Ken Keltner were quick to come in with the intention of covering the plate. One strike to count. There is no one out, but Billy Southworth is prepared to risk the percentage opportunity of a bunch and sacrifice 50. Ken Keltner is in on the grab down the third baseline. He's sneaking in a little. Here it comes. And it's inside and low. One and one. Keltner wound up about 50 feet from home plate. 50 is a fair bunter. It's difficult to determine just exactly where he will place the ball. He's very fast. He's one of the fastest base runners the Braves have. And since that's the case, under the Southwest School, he practices punting, as do Dark and Ferguson. One and one to count. Here it comes. There's the bunch. It's a foul ball. And Hegan throws to first for the double play. Hegan took it. Right out in front of the plate, it was ruled a fair ball. And then he fired it to first base for the ninth double play for Cleveland in the series. Threw him a knuckleball, perhaps. 
It's difficult to determine from here, but the double play was two to three, and all he had to do was wait for Robinson to cover first because Ryan was going on it. Two men out, and Tommy Holmes the batter. And some of the fans are already beginning to leave. Convinced the destiny has been shaped. Strike calls. One strike to count. From a situation with a runner on first base, no one out. An optimistic situation, failing as they do by one run, three to four. The Braves now have two men out, no one on. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. And that one is coming up here. The down, two strikes. Incidentally, Cleveland in this game has had four double plays. So they've had six of their nine double plays in support of Bob Lemon and Bearden. There goes a fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world champions of 1948. And they are leaping joyously as they go off the field. Bearden is being mobbed. As are Rue Boudreau and out in center field, Tucker and Kennedy come running in arm in arm. The final score, Cleveland, four runs, ten hits, no errors. The Braves, three runs, nine hits, no errors. The winning pitcher, Bob Lemon. The losing pitcher, Big Bill Voisel. And camera flash bulbs are exploding all over the premises as the Braves, Billy Southworth, congratulates Lou Boudreau and the Indians have tucked away the bunting in baseball's greatest classic. So the Tribe wins it, their second World Series championship, joining the 1920 ball club. Bob Lemon earned the win. Gene Bearden, they didn't give saves back then, Bobby D, but man, if you look at the whole body of work, not only in that game, but in the series, and then to get to this series, what a year for him. Lou Boudreau, the player-manager, must have had so much faith in a 20-year-old rookie southpaw to not only, after one day's rest, have him start in Fenway Park for the historic playoff game and then to uh, um, have him be a part of uh, the rotation, of course, during the World Series and then put him in relief uh, in the deciding game in Game 6. He was a 20-game winner. Hal Neuhauser of the Detroit Tigers led the American League with 21 wins in 1948. But uh, Bob Lemon and Gene Bearden were each 20-game winners. Bob Feller missed it by one. He was a 19-game winner. So some incredible pitching uh, throughout the entire 48 series with the Tribe. And what a rookie season for Gene Bearden. Funny how it always gets back to pitching, doesn't it? Always, always hasn't changed. And that is the always eloquent and about as good as they come when it comes to history of the Cleveland Indians, Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio. If he hasn't seen it or at least heard about it or been very well versed in it, it hasn't happened with the Tribe. And we thank Bobby D for all of his help in putting together our shows the last couple of weeks and lending some insight behind the scenes, so to speak, of what was happening back in 1948, the Indians' last World Series championship. 
Well, we hope you can join us next week. A little bit different show next week as we'll join you live from TribeFest for all the information on TribeFest. And there are still tickets available. It's really that kickoff to the start of the season and kind of gets you going there in the middle of winter, uh, maybe gets you through to spring training. Tribe Fest is next Saturday at the Downtown Convention Center, so make sure you make your plans now. Go to indians.com slash tribefest. All the information you'll need is right there in terms of tickets, uh, when the event is held in terms of the season ticket holder portion, and then the general public portion. There's a couple of different avenues you can take to get there. So uh, go to indians.com slash tribefest. Get all the information there. And uh, we will have a show from TribeFest next week, so we hope you can join us then. Until then, for Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio, Brian Matze, and Anthony Alford, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.